Acts 9.19, as we continue in our fall series, Actions. Acts 9.19, and I want to set the stage for you before we read. Uh, It was on the road to Damascus, as Paul had left Jerusalem on horseback, as he had gone to drag all the believers who had fled to Damascus back in chains, going to stop this Christian movement. It was on that road right outside of Damascus that Paul the greatest hater of Christianity, the number one persecutor of the church was soundly, solidly, amazingly, thoroughly converted to Jesus Christ as Christ spoke to him on the road. Who is it, Lord? He said, I am Christ whom you are persecuting. And our text says, our text this morning, that immediately... After the scales fell off of his eyes, immediately Paul went into the same synagogues that he had gotten letters from the, the, um, the high priest to come and, and drag believers out of and define believers and for those people up in Damascus to get out of the way for do, him to do his kind of KGB work, the letters of permission, he goes into those same synagogues and teaches that this Jesus is the Son of God. There was a surprise in church that morning in Damascus. And we read this surprise in verse 21 of our text. And all who heard him were amazed and they said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name, the name of Jesus? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound back to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And so they plotted to shut his mouth by killing him. And it's, it's kind of like an action movie at this point, <laughs> you know? I, I mean, it's really high adventure. The, the only way there's still an Apostle Paul for us to read about is that some believers, and, and if you'll notice, it says his disciples, you know, he's not even there that long, and yet God is he's using his preaching to such a degree that people are beginning to come to Christ in addition to the ones that had already been there and and, it, and there's a church that's just forming in Damascus that his disciples take him, hide him, and they lower him down the city wall through a window in the wall. You know, people actually lived along the, the city wall. Their, their houses, their windows would be a part of the wall. And they lowered him in a basket, um, and he narrowly escaped, and he just runs off into the darkness. And we read in Galatians 1.19 where he runs to, he runs to Arabia. He runs to what, what we call Saudi Arabia. He's kind of back over there where Mount Sinai, you know, close to where Mount Sinai is and, and everything. And now, after a lot of preaching and running and persecution, Paul realizes that he needs to get with the main apostles in Jerusalem. He realizes that Jesus Christ himself, of course, has called him. He realizes that that Christ has a, a, um, 
a great plan for him. Remember what Jesus in a dream told Ananias. I must show him all the things he must suffer for my name. He is my chosen instrument to take my word to kings and to the Gentiles and, and to the children of Israel. And Paul begins to realize, and I got, you got to love this, that you know, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you don't, you don't just have people who want to do something and they just do it on their own. The church, there really is coordination, there really is kind of authority, there really is approval and testing of people that when you put people out there, you say, you know, this guy's going to teach right doctrine because we're going to learn later in the book of Acts that there's false teachers just rife running through the church. And, and it's a really important for there to, to be, this is the message, this is the real gospel. This man is approved by the church, so Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem. It's only natural to meet with the apostles. And so Saul sets, Paul, Saul, sets back to Jerusalem from whence he came to destroy the church. There's a lot of irony in, in this story, isn't there? But it's just like Damascus all over again. They don't trust him. They're not meeting with him. You know the only reason he got in with the, the people and the Christians in Damascus, the only reason is that God appeared to Ananias, one of the believers, in a dream and said, Ananias, who are you? It, it's me. And um, you're to go down to the house of Judas on the street that's called Straight. And you're going to meet a man named Saul and you're going to lay your hands on him. And you're going to tell him that he, I will show him everything. And you know what, what Ananias says, even when God Almighty talks to him, not him. I mean, when God Almighty, this is how serious Paul was as a, as a religious terrorist. Ananias, in obedience to Jesus Christ himself, receives Paul. Then they realize, and that's when Paul starts preaching, that is when... The, 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 the Jewish authorities want to kill Paul. That's when he gets lowered out of the basket. There's nobody speaking to anybody in Jerusalem in dreams. And they're not going to see him. And, and they're not sure exactly who this man really is. And what we learned this morning from the text we're about to read in a moment is that the Apostle Paul, as we know him now, would have probably gone home for the rest of his life and made really great tents because that's what his profession was and that's what his daddy's profession was. And he would not have made churches and he would not have made New Testament books had it not been for one man. One man. His name was Joseph. I like that. His name was Joseph, but he had a nickname. The apostles nicknamed him Barnabas. The word Barnabas means the son of encouragement. If you're going to be called the son of something, you want to be called the son of encouragement. And uh, basically what it means is the one born to encourage. The one who just is born to do this. The one who encourages better than, than anyone else. And, and when nobody will talk to Paul, Barnabas alone goes and investigates. Barnabas alone says, I'll talk to him. I'll risk it. And he goes and he, he listens to Paul and he finds out indeed that he is a believer. Indeed that Christ spoke to him on the road. 
that Ananias was spoken to by God, that Paul boldly preached that Jesus is the Son of God in Damascus and Arabia, and then went back to Damascus some more before he came down. And all this is about three years, by the way, before he finally comes down to Jerusalem. We kind of put, because we kind of put them all, everything right next to each other, they're not. He realizes that Paul has risked his life for the gospel and is filled with, with courage and, and faith. And, and Barnabas meets with Paul. And you know what Barnabas does, which is so great? And this is one of the things that friends do for one another. He just listens. And he listens. And he listens. And God begins to just get a hold of Barnabas' heart. And, and these two form a friendship that be, will become one of the most famous friendships in the history of the church. It is Barnabas in our text who uses his clout, and he had lots of clout, to introduce Paul to the apostles. He built a friendship with Paul, and then he built a bridge between Paul and the apostles, and it is only the bridge of Barnabas that gets Paul to the apostles and Paul to the calling that God gave him on the road to Damascus. And he is very Significant, And later, it's Barnabas who would travel hundreds of miles to go find Paul and put him into the ministry full-time in Antioch as a leader in the church of Antioch. But let us read the scriptures. Acts 9 and verse 20. For some days, right after his conversion, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately... He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. And they said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here to Damascus for this purpose, to bring them bound to the chief priests? But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates of the city day and night. Why? They wanted to see him come through the gates and grab him and kill him. They watched the gates of the city day and night in order to kill him, but the disciples, excuse me, his disciples, took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him, in a basket. And then he goes to Arabia, we learn. Then he goes back to Damascus. Fast forward three years. Verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple, a Christian, a true follower of Jesus. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to the apostles how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus Paul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so then he went in and out among them freely at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, that are the, the Greek-oriented Jews that were raised outside of, of Israel, who lived in Jerusalem and who were there. And he preached boldly 
in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Common theme in his life. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. Turn to Acts 11.25, please. Acts 11.25. Fast forward. You ready for this? Ten years. Best estimate of scholars. Ten years. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch, And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. And it was, I'll give you a little heads up where this is going, at Antioch that the Spirit of God said to that church, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas and send them out. And the first missionary journey of Paul comes out of this church with this partnership that is formed through the friendship of this man Barnabas. This morning I want us to look at the impact on Paul and on the world of the friendship of Barnabas. And I want to challenge us to see friendship being at the core of this adventure of grace and at the core of what it means to be able to influence people significantly and to see the kingdom of God move forward. I've kind of put it into two sentences that you can remember. You can write these down. I actually urge people to write them down. And if you have children, read the sentence or the sentences at lunch and talk about the sermon. Here they are. There's just two observations. Number one, friends see the best when others don't. And friends go the extra mile when others won't. Let me say that again. Friends see the best when others don't. And friends go the extra mile when others won't. We learn this from Barnabas, that he's a friend, that friends see the best when others don't. You know, Barnabas was one of those people that looked for the best in in other people. You know people like that? They're looking for the best in other people. And we see this not only in the life of Paul, we see this in the life of a young man named John Mark that that was also raised up through Barnabas' influence and his friendship to be a, a, a great leader, wrote the Gospel of Mark as well in the early church. And, and Barnabas had a way of looking for the good in people. I don't mean that people are good, but just looking for what is best and bringing that out for the glory of God in people. When others wouldn't even look at Paul, Barnabas did. You know, a friend usually comes into our circle of experience. Why? Don't you think about your friendships? And we all need more. A friend usually comes into the circle of our personal experience because they're friendly toward us. Because <laughs> they're interested in us. Because they're looking and they see something in us. Then they want to be with us and they want to help us. And we sense the good intentions of these people. I'm not talking about liaisons. I'm not talking about alignment, strategic, political, business, and people you might play golf with, which is great. 
I'm talking about people that know you, love you, and what you would be call your friends. Now, we tend to use the word friend in, in a more flippant way than, than possibly it's been used in the past. We tend, in, in, in our culture at least, to use the word friend really as a substitute for, for acquaintances. You know, you know so-and-so, yeah, he's a friend of mine. Well, what that means is that you've met him and y'all have talked or maybe there's something in common there. It does not mean you, you, you intimately share life together. You say, how many friends do you have? If, if we were thinking just in terms of the kind of colloquial way we talk about friends, the cultural way, which I'm not saying is, is, is bad. It's just not what we're, the text is dealing with. We'd say, we got, we've got scores of friends. Who knows how many friends I have? And then if, if you go on Facebook, you've got hundreds of friends. Now, those are your closest friends, right? I just wish they would have called it something other than friends. But anyway, I digress. Maybe we should use the word close friend when we're talking about this kind of friendship. Or maybe we should use the words of, of Anne Shirley and of Green Gables, bosom friend. Or as southern ladies call their true friends, she's a heart friend. I think that's what we're getting at, right? Something we desperately yearn for, to, to know and be known and to to share life. But these people come into our lives, these dear friends, and they come into our hearts because they are looking for the good in us. They're for us. They care about us. And our passage starts with Paul's trouble with the Jews. He begins to preach Christ and they want to kill him twice. But even more interesting is Paul's trouble with the Christians. <laughs> if anybody ever needed a friend who was a Christian, it was Paul after his conversion and nobody trusted him. Nobody. Now, lest we be unnecessarily punitive of the apostles, we get why they don't want to be with him. I mean, even the voice of Jesus, Ananias, no, not him. I mean, is he some kind of a double agent? I mean, you can bring them bound in chains. Maybe, maybe what would even be more insidious, you know, like diabolical, like Lex Luthor or something, you know, maybe would be to pretend like you're a Christian and get ushered into the very inner circle of the leadership of the church. And just blow it up. That's the way you put a stop to something. We get why they are terrified. Did, did you catch in the scripture? They didn't believe he was a real Christian. We get that. But when everybody else is freaking out about Paul, Barnabas seeks him out. And he listens to him. You know, Barnabas, unlike all those guys from Galilee and the, the few that were from Judea who were Jesus' disciples, Barnabas was like Paul. Paul was from the Roman province of Cilicia. You go from Jerusalem up the Mediterranean right in the eastern part of, of Turkey. And, and you know, Barnabas was, was from Antioch, which was kind of up near that area in modern-day Turkey. 
Barnabas, in a way, he was a Levite, but he was kind of an outsider when it when he came. Greek was his native tongue, just like Paul's. He understood what it was to to kind of come into Jerusalem and 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 learn your Judaism. In fact, some people believe that maybe Barnabas, though he was older than Paul, uh, knew uh, Paul when Paul was a young student, and and Barnabas maybe was a student, or maybe he had already started serving in the temple. They were both serving the temple. But the guy from Cyprus goes and finds the guy from Tarsus, and they're talking Greek, not Hebrew, together. And Barnabas sees Paul's sincerity and his intensity. Those are two marks of Paul, by the way, we're going to see. Sincerity and intensity. Paul, Barnabas sees Paul's willingness to boldly proclaim Jesus at risk of life. Now, I was sitting with a guy one time. I was up at Belmont University in, in Tennessee, and we were, Sarah Caitlin and I were at a dramatic production. There was a young guy who was a freshman sitting there, and he was being taught in the religion department. Really, none of this was true. And basically, the early church considered Christianity the same as all other religions, that we've made it so ugly and exclusive. I'm like, you, did you believe that when you got here? No. I said, do you really think people died for something that wasn't different? Do you really, really think people died just to say we're like everybody else? And he's like, that's a good point. Well, guess what? That's what Barnabas saw. This guy is willing to die. And Barnabas, furthermore, saw his giftedness. And Barnabas, can you see him going, man, if this is real, this could be big. This could be amazing. For the church. But you know, Barnabas had this way of not only just seeing the good in people, but Barnabas had a way of loving them and building up his friends so that they were able to use their gifts. And, and that which is good and right and, and given by God is, is able to come out. John Piper called Barnabas famously the leader maker. I love that. He's not just a friend, he's the leader maker. He, he's the, the one who raises up Paul. He's the one that raises up John Mark. He's the one that raises up an entire church in Antioch that launches the entire missionary enterprise to the Gentiles. Folks, I'm going to tell you something about life. Life's tough in a fallen world. And it's a whole lot less meaningful and joyful without friends. And without comrades who also love the gospel and have tasted that grace, have tasted that love, who, who want to traffic in that truth, the adventure of grace requires friends. It's all over Scripture. It's all over church history. Just to give you a few examples, the, probably the most famous example that may some of you may have thought about this is 1 Samuel 23, 16, where Saul, who is the king of Israel, sitting on the throne at least, David has been anointed by God to be the king. Saul is trying to hunt David down and kill him. And guess who David's new best friend becomes? Jonathan. Jonathan, the son of the king of Israel, who's hunting David down. And we read in 1 Samuel 23, 16, that David, as he was being hunted down, Saul's son Jonathan traveled 30 miles to encourage David. Quote, 
And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose. And he went to David at Horesh, and he strengthened his hand in God. And he said to David, You do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I will sit right next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them, it says, made a covenant before the Lord. He went and he strengthened his hand in God. Who knows where David was spiritually, emotionally at that point. He needed a friend. Church history, great example, um, has to do with the fact that there would not have been a John Calvin as we know John Calvin today as the great reformer of Geneva and the, the great theologian that, that gave us reformed theology, so to speak. I mean, it comes from the Bible. There would not have been a, a John Calvin without a guy named Martin Butzer. Why don't you write this down? You Google him. B-U-C-E-R. Martin Butzer, who happened to be the leader of the Reformation at Strasbourg, which used to be in Switzerland, is now in France. And he was the guy that took Calvin in when Calvin was kicked out of Geneva. He was the guy that gave Calvin a church in Strasbourg with, with French expatriates. You know, Calvin was from France. He was the guy that helped Calvin find his wife in Strasbourg. He was the one that taught, and so much of what you read from John Calvin really is Butzer's theology, the older gentleman who is teaching this younger gentleman, and I could name doctrine after doctrine that find their roots in Butzer, down to Calvin, out into all these theology books. You see, Butzer was known to be a kindly soul. Butzer was known to be one of those people, you know how folks are always talking about, about other denominations and churches and we're the only people? He didn't do any of that. And all the fighting that was going on and all the tensions, Butcher was always the one trying to bring everybody together. He was a true Barnabas, a true son of encouragement. And there wouldn't have been a John Calvin without a Martin Butzer. And God has just simply made it such that there are certain things in your life that will not happen, will not be risen to, will not be released without the help, discernment, and encouragement of friends. You can write that down. Barnabas became Paul's friend and his main cheerleader and brought him to the apostles. So friends see the best when others don't. But secondly, friends go the extra mile when others won't. Why? Because they do love you. Because sacrifice for you is something that doesn't bother them. Because you're more important than them. You're more important than what they have to pay to serve you and to love you. And it's a choice to be a friend. And it's a choice to love, whether you're in a friendship, a marriage, or any other arrangement. And Barnabas is a lover. And Barnabas is a great soul. And he's a giver. We learn in Acts chapter 4, he's a Levite. Levites had some property that were assigned to them. He sold his property in Cyprus and gave all the money to the church at Jerusalem because they didn't have any money. Oh, he's a great soul. He loved the gospel more than he loved his own wallet. He loved the gospel more than he loved his own reputation when he went and met with that guy named Saul that nobody wanted to meet with. And then we learn that he loved the gospel and he loved Saul 
as much or more than his own soul because he was willing to travel a long way to go look for him and find him ten years after the earlier part of this, this uh, text to put Paul back into the ministry. Verse 27, it says that when Paul, Barnabas brought Paul in the, in the English, brought Paul to the apostles, the Greek literally means he took hold of Paul. Means he led him by the hand to the apostles. Don't you need friends like that? Who won't just suggest things, but just grab you. We're going. We're doing it. So Paul finally gets to the apostles, and they see for themselves that he indeed is probably the greatest trophy of grace they've ever seen in their life of God's grace. And how passionate and how courageous he was. And now he can come freely in and out of Jerusalem, in and out of fellowship with the apostles. So Paul's legit. Paul's legit. Paul, Paul Gordon got ordained, so to speak. You know, Paul is approved. And what does Paul do? We read it in the text. Paul begins to preach in Jerusalem. Another irony. Paul doesn't go to preach to the Jews from Israel. Paul goes over to this wing and he begins to preach to the Hellenistic Jews, those that were like him from outside of Israel and those who had a different cultural milieu that they were living in that included the Greek world and the Roman world and where they had come from. And what is so interesting is, is do you know whose place Paul basically took in Jerusalem? There was a guy who basically rose and he preached to the Hellenistic Jews and they hated him so bad They stoned him to death, and Paul was right there approving. His name was Stephen, and his assignment was to be the chief preacher of the way, this early Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus, to the Hellenistic Jews. The guy who stood there approving while Stephen was stoned basically took Stephen's pulpit. And he is preaching to the Hellenistic Jews. And they want to stone him too. And the only reason Paul is not killed like Stephen is because the apostles realized this and they basically took him out of town, took him down to Caesarea, packed him back home to Tarsus. And the only reason that um, Paul agreed to this is we read in another place that that God also convinced Paul that that is exactly what he needed to do. And Paul... What was he doing in, in, in his hometown? Making tents? Preaching the gospel, I'm sure. We don't know. But it's ten years. Now, Paul's a young man when he is converted. There's three years before he gets to Jerusalem. He only is in Jerusalem two weeks before they're trying to kill him and get sent back home. And ten years later, ten years later, what's happening in Barnabas's life? Well, Barnabas is being used greatly by God. Barnabas is one of the chief leaders of the early church. You know, he's from Cyprus. He speaks Greek. And there's a group of people in Antioch. And Antioch is a thriving city. And God is with these believers. And the opportunities for the gospel to reach that area of what is now that portion of Turkey as well. Modern day Turkey is great. And, and Barnabas goes up to Antioch. And you know, in the midst of being at Antioch, he just see. I mean, it's just fruit like crazy. The church grows like crazy under Barnabas' leadership. There's all kind of things happening. It's amazing what's happening. 
And what does Barnabas do? He leaves and he says, I know who I need to be with me and to be a leader with me in this church among these Greek-speaking people. I need Saul. And Barnabas just goes. How long it took him to get to Tarsus, I don't know. Paul's sewing a tent one day when Barnabas walks up and says, your tent sewing days are over, dude. You're coming with me. God's Spirit is just doing amazing things in Antioch. And you are called. Remember what Ananias said about you? Remember, you're my chosen instrument. So you just pack up your things and you're coming with me. The very thing that Saul had wanted to do for the last 10 years. And it was this act of friendship that would be the making of Saul, Paul, in the early church. Look at Acts 11.25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, I want to mention somebody in this congregation. I've mentioned him before, and that is John Norton. John Norton, as much as anybody in my life, has been a Barnabas. John Norton, if you don't know, if you're visiting this morning, is the the leader of what's called the Crossroads Community. Remember the community I was talking about? Let me tell you, I was without a job after seminary. I was home in my bedroom, finally, without a job, you know, looking at my model airplanes or something, Uh, trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be going when John Norton found me. John Norton, when they were looking for an assistant pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Augusta, and they were about to go with somebody else, he said, No! I'm calling Joey one more time. And he did. That phone rang right there. And two days later, I was an assistant minister at First Presbyterian Church of Augusta, and I had already met Gina one day later. Come in here. John Norton was relentless, saying, you need to come here. I'm talking about to this church when we lived in Colorado. I do not know what my life would be like without John Norton. I mean, his head's going to be so big after the second service. I do not know what my life would be like after without John Norton, but I know it would have been different. And thank God for Barnabas's and, and thank the Lord for John. Let me tell you something. You'll know you are a friend when you really want to give. You'll know if you are truly a friend to somebody when you're, when you're not always counting change and how much is this going to actually cost for me to love somebody and do something. Did you just do it because you love, you do it because their best interest is more important than your interest. That's Barnabas. Friends aren't put out by helping friends. They go the extra mile. And Barnabas shows us this with Paul, and it makes the difference in Paul's life. It makes the difference in human history. One scholar says in all of Barnabas, the fruit of the early ministry in the early church, through his encouraging Paul and John Mark, he said, and I quote, I'm now working on being an encourager because it seems like the kingdom of God depends on it. It does. It does. And you might like for me to say, look for someone to be 
your friend. Look for somebody to befriend you. Go get in the right place and somebody will come love you. That's not what I want to tell you this morning. I don't want to exhort you to be Paul this morning. I want to exhort you to be Barnabas. Go be a friend. Go and open your heart to somebody. Open your life to somebody. Open, sacrifice, give, care about somebody. See the good in them. Bring it out for the glory of God. Go the extra mile for somebody. You see, the adventure of grace isn't just waiting for people to come to you. But it is going to people, reaching out, risking it, giving, loving. You want the adventure? It's called love. Finally, friendship is the Christian thing to do. And we read, Brad read in in that reading in the service earlier in John 15, 15, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. He said this to his disciples. For the servant does not know what the master is doing. He's not, in, he's not close. He's not, he's not on the inside. But I have called you friends, Jesus said. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. You know, when we were God's enemies, Christ saw that we could be his friends. When there was nothing to attract us to God as sinners in enmity with him, Christ saw reconciliation and was willing to die for us to achieve it and did. That's not just the extra mile. That's the last mile. And he rose again. And as the risen Christ At the right hand of God, he has the right and the power to give to whomever he chooses. Forgiveness and salvation and friendship for all eternity. So that we could be his friends. So that we could become people who make friends too. People who see the best when others don't. People who go the extra mile to help them become the person God wants them to be and to change the world by doing it. Incarnational, in the flesh, person to person, friendship, just like Barnabas, just like Jesus. You believe that? It's fall. Let's connect. Let's reach out. Let's see the power of Jesus Christ unleashed through this kind of love through highlands. Let's pray. Lord, would you do that in our hearts? Would you bring people to yourself if you've never put your trust in Christ who died on the cross because God is holy and there's nothing you can do to change yourself enough to be acceptable to him and he did it all for you. You pray, Lord, I see it and I want to turn from everything I've called Christianity, everything I've called religion. I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done only for my salvation. Thank you that you have come into my life even now. Thank you that we are friends. And now, Father, would you move. And and for those of us who have known you, one of the reasons we're stuck is because we lack the meaning that incarnational ministry brings. We lack the meaning that giving brings, that loving brings, that being willing 
to put ourselves out there brings. Oh, Lord, would you make Barnabases out of your people? And would you change the world through those relationships in you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.